Merry Christmas from Centerpoint Church. As you know, this Christmas season has some iconic Christmas music. By now, you may be sick of hearing it. This week, we're gonna be looking at a Christmas song, and every week of this collection, we'll be bouncing around to some different songs to really pull out some biblical truths about the birth of Jesus. Let's jump right in. We are continuing this series, this collection called Playlist. And what we do each week is we take a different Christmas song and we see what biblical truths we can pull out of it. And we've got one more week after this week. It will be next week. We're going to celebrate Christmas one more day next Sunday. I encourage you to be here with us. But today, our song is, O Little Town of Bethlehem. What I want to do during our time today is I want to show you the importance of Jesus being fully divine yet also fully human. And if he was not fully human, then what are the ramifications of that? So let me let the Word of God set the table for what we're going to talk about today. This is in Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register, verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married, married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. What I, what, what I want you to understand today, church, is on that day in Bethlehem, a real baby was born. A real baby that cried, that had to have diaper changes. Yes, it was Jesus who was fully divine, but yet fully human. What's interesting is during the ministry of Jesus, approximately 33 and a half years of his earthly ministry, no one ever questioned if he was fully man. Yet, at the moment of his resurrection, or actually at the moment of his death, then all throughout Acts, they're fighting to prove that he was actually the Son of God. But the humanity of Jesus was, was never questioned. It is historically documented without argument that there was a baby named Jesus born in Nazareth of Joseph and Mary, fully human. There's, there's two different, actually, types of beliefs. I, I, we should have them up on the screen. The first one is Abianism, and it's this belief that Jesus was man, but he wasn't God. And there's a lot of people that believe that. They say that he was just a good man, maybe a prophet, maybe on par with Muhammad. And, and I want to let you know that that is a dangerous position to take, and, and we're going to show you why. The other one is docetism, and it's that Jesus was God, but he wasn't really man. And this actually happened a little bit after, because after he resurrected, he was there for 40 days walking and talking and eating and being around people, witnessed large groups of people, small groups of people. But during that time was when people were like, well, I think he was just a ghost, or this is like just an apparition, or this is just a, a, a hologram. I doubt anybody said that, but, but George Lucas probably thought that. You know, this is just a hologram put out there by R2-D2. That's for you, Steve Hines. But, but I want to tell you, it's important 
to know that Jesus was fully human. And I've got three main reasons that I want us to talk about during our time today. And by I mean us talk about, it's, it's essentially a monologue. But you can yell yes and amen or, or, or preach at homeboy or whatever weird thing you want to yell out. That's fine. I have no idea why I said that. It's actually not in my notes. But the first reason that it's important to understand and recognize that Jesus was fully human while also fully divine simultaneously is, is, is point number one. If, if not, if Jesus was not fully human, then the Bible is false. Because all throughout Scripture we see over and over and over again saying that Jesus, born of a woman, was there as our Redeemer. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. But when the time had fully come, one translation says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So you understand that if Jesus wasn't fully human, if there wasn't a fully human baby born that day in Bethlehem, then the Bible is false. There's there's this movement right now by so-called believers and so-called churches of picking and choosing parts of Scripture that they want to believe, that they want to emphasize, and taking parts of Scripture that they are, are, are popular with pop culture, are popular with the ebb and flow of society, and take those out. But we've got to be a church that if one thing is wrong in the Bible, throw it all out. We can't, we can't write our own version of the Bible and decide what we want in there and what we don't. I understand there's some things in the Bible that would be a lot easier to not have to stand on stage and preach. But, but thank goodness that I'm not up here preaching your version of the Bible or my version of the Bible. And so if Jesus wasn't fully human, then the Bible is false on multiple occasions and throw it all out. But if he was fully human, you and I are eligible to receive adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High King. I want you to hear what's recorded in the beloved disciples' gospel. That's John, John 1, 14. The Word, and notice that the W is capital, which is referring to Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We call this the incarnation, that God came down in the form of man, Jesus, one part of the Godhead of the Trinity. And, and, and we see in Scripture that Jesus grew tired. He grew hungry. You ever been hungry? He had emotions like anger. He felt betrayal. He lived. And the Bible even records that he died. These are all characteristics of someone who is fully human. And if not, then even that is wrong. Point number two of if Jesus was not fully human, then our sins are not forgiven and Jesus was a liar. There's a lot at stake. That's a heavy statement to make, thus emphasizing the importance of Jesus being fully human. Because if he wasn't fully human, then he did not meet the requirements for atonement. He did not meet the requirements for you and I to be forgiven. And what that means then is that he was a liar and the greatest con man of all time. And that everyone who has died since he, was, since he died and, and, and resurrected then is actually in hell. And that's where you and I are destined for. If he wasn't fully human. 
You see, there was this thing that God established from the very beginning uh, in Leviticus called the Levitical Law in which he laid out what the requirements were to cover sin. For the wages of sin is death. And so because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin, you and I had to have some sort of way to cover that sin. And, and I want you to hear what's written in the Levitical Law, written by Moses, 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Atonement just simply means the cleansing of impurity, the reconciliation for the offense. Make no mistake, church, in Bethlehem on that morning, the perfect lamb was born. It was fully human and fully divine of Jesus. And why? For the purpose of reconciliation for you and I. You should, you should celebrate that. Is anybody happy that that happened? Me too. Me too. I want you to hear what, what the writer of Hebrews put in 922. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, I wondered as a young kid, why did Jesus actually have to die on the cross? Why couldn't God just, you know, take out his magic wand and say, you are forgiven? Like, why? That seems a little graphic. Thank you, Carmen, for laughing at that joke. You and about four other people. I wonder why Jesus had to die. Like, that seems a little graphic because at the very beginning, blood, innocent blood, was the only thing that could cover sin. But because it was of animals, it simply just pushed it forward and pushed it forward and pushed it forward. So what's happening now, by the time we're reaching when Jesus is born, this tension is there of all of mankind's sins being pushed and building and building and building. Imagine the weight. And that's why when Jesus was on the cross and all of a sudden, the wrath of God pours upon him, and he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling the wrath of God for thousands and thousands of years of sin. And so atonement was necessary. This is the point. You're never going to find this in any other religion in the world. Of For, for Christianity to be a follower of Jesus, to, to surrender your life to God, and spend eternity with him, all you have to do is nothing. That's, you won't find that. It's like there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. All you have to do is just simply receive it. And that's wild. That's crazy. That's unnatural. It's supernatural. And it makes no sense that a perfect God would send his son down to live a perfect life to die for imperfect people. You mean there's nothing I can do to, like, pay you back a little bit? You mean all I have to do is just simply believe and receive it and surrender my life to you? And, and, and that's it? That's it? You mean, you mean like I don't have to follow the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama and Buddhism that said all you have to do is simply follow this steps, these steps, and you'll reach nirvana, you'll reach enlightenment? No! You mean I don't have to follow what these golden scrolls that were found in New York City conveniently and, 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 and the, all the different steps to work my way up to heaven? I don't have to, to follow all those? No! In fact, even if you could, you couldn't because you deserve hell. That's why Jesus came. And for the record, I deserve hell as well. It's not just you or you. It's definitely you. No, no. It's, we all deserve it. And that's why Jesus came. I want you to hear what also is written in Hebrews. 
10, verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, that's important because you're like, wait a second. You said that the sacrifices didn't take anything away. There was no reconciliation. It just simply pushed it forward and pushed it forward. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. See, all of these different types of offerings, you even had an offering that you had to give for unconfessed sin that you may not even know about. I mean, there were a ton of different offerings, and it was expensive. And not only was it expensive, but imagine what it would smell like to see, to, to smell the smells of, of decaying animals and blood being spilled and flesh being burned. And imagine what the sounds would be like as you're slitting the throat of these animals. Imagine visually what it would look like. Like now, I don't even want my kids to watch, you know, like a PG-13 movie. Imagine what that would look like, all of the gore and the grossness. I think it would give you a, a constant view of exactly how detrimental sin is and how serious God takes sin. You see, in today's world, we don't actually think sin is that serious. And salvation is free, but it costs Jesus everything. Verse 9, then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, Jesus Christ had to come as the perfect Lamb of God to redeem us. Now, this word redeem, we use a lot in society today. I, actually, I don't know if you use it or not, but if you have a coupon, you're like, I'd like to redeem this for a free meal. I have an app for a local fast food restaurant in town. I'm not going to say your name until you sponsor me. But, but they got like this, uh, this app, and they have these redemption codes. And like I'm walking up, and I'm like, no, no, hold on, hold on. I got a, I got a coupon I want to redeem. Look right here. I spent 50 bucks at this place, and I want my 10 cents off right now. I want to redeem this. But, but in Scripture, redeem is something just a little bit different. Redeem means to purchase back. You see, when, when, when you and I are born into sin, we were born into unrighteousness through Adam. But we are made righteous through the acts of Jesus, through the actions of Jesus, through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. And so what you're doing is you are, uh, you are being redeemed, which is to be liberated from being captive. He's making it right. He's buying you back. He made you, and then he bought you. If Jesus wasn't fully human, then you and I are going to hell. That's serious. And he's the greatest con man of all time. But if he is fully human, if he also is the son of God, if his actions on the cross did redeem us, then you and I will live forever in a place where there is no pain, where there is no sin, where there is no death, where there is no cancer, where there is no just depravity, desolation. We won't live in any of those. I, I want to show you something. I want to show you a picture of my daughter. Now, we previously I worked at a church that was huge, a big old church. And the problem with a big church, and don't get me wrong, I want this to be a big church one day, but the problem with that is it was so big that you wouldn't see people all the time. 
And you could see somebody, and then if they skipped a Sunday, like some of you do, mm-hmm, uh, or not mentioning names over there, sixth row. I have no idea who's in the sixth row. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, there's three of you. Betty, you're in the sixth row over here, but I'm not talking about you. But I want you to hear this. So if you skipped a service or you altered your schedule and went to a different service, you could go months without seeing somebody. Or if they sat in a different section, some of you sit in the same place every single time. But, but some of you don't. And so my daughter, it was really hard for her to make friends. Now, my oldest daughter, Mackenzie, that's uh, her on my left, she loves making friends and usually loves making friends with girls who are a couple years older than her. And this is a friend that she met, and she was so excited that she was there because she hadn't seen her in a while. She wanted a picture with her. And so my daughter took this girl named Ambriel and brought her from the kids' area all the way into the big kids' church or adult church or whatever we call this thing and said, I want, I want a picture with you. Come here. Come on. Let's get a picture with you. My mom said we got to get a picture together because she got like one of those bulletin boards that she put pictures of herself and her friends up. So this was a big deal. And then after we took this picture, we're going home and Mackenzie is like, I just don't know if Ambriel wants to be my friend anymore. And she just was acting like she doesn't really like me very much anymore. And did I do something to, to, to make her mad? And, you know, girls are just so dramatic, right, Brandon? And I'm wondering, like, is this really like an issue or are my girls just being dramatic? I don't know where they get being dramatic from. It's not me. Uh-huh. Preach at home, boy, he said. Yep. Probably the weirdest thing I ever yelled. People call me a drama queen sometimes, John, and I'm like, no, 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 that's drama king, thank you. But enough about that. I just didn't know, because she was really concerned. She was acting weird. She didn't act like she wanted to take a picture with me. I thought we were best friends. Dad, what's going on? And, and, and so we start looking at this picture, and my wife is looking at this picture, and she's like, are you sure that's Ambriel?" Because her name tag says Aubrey. Look, can you cut to the next picture? That's Ambrielle. Look how happy Ambrielle is to take a picture with my daughter. Go back to Aubrey. There's Aubrey. And Aubrey is probably going through her mind right now, who is this random girl I've never met that just dragged me out of the kids' area, which is illegal, by the way, and dragged me down the aisle and then says, smile, Ambrielle, take a picture with me, Ambrielle. We're best friends, Ambrielle. And inside she's sitting here thinking, I'm Aubrey. I have no idea who you are. So there's Aubrey, look. Go back to Ambrielle. Even Amber Hill's like, okay, you ever heard of social distancing? (laughs) Why am I telling you this story? Is it A, because it's funny, B, because I have a point, C, all of the above, or D, none of the above? And before you can answer, it is C, all of the above. And let me show you why. Point number three, if Jesus wasn't fully human, then Jesus doesn't understand what we are going through. And here it is. I think the church has a PR problem 
because I think we have been promoting Jesus different than Jesus really is. I think that the world, there are 93,000 people in just Sumner County alone that are currently unchurched right now. And I think it's because we have put off, I think there's a variety of reasons, but I think one of the reasons is we have put off this idea that Jesus is somebody that Jesus isn't. I think we've been pushing the uh, Aubrey Jesus instead of the Ambriel Jesus. Here's what I mean. As I remember a while ago, I remember when I first started to really encounter who Jesus is, it was freeing because for the first 30 years of my life, I thought Jesus was a disappointed father figure. I thought he was sitting up in the third heavens with his arms crossed, just like you, shaking his head going, you did it again, Jason. You did it again. You've prayed for forgiveness, yet here you are again, and you done did it again. Jesus is Southern, clearly. And, 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 and. But that's what I thought. He's disappointed in me. And, and because I haven't gone to church four weeks in a row, he's, he's not going to bless me anymore. He's going to curse me. And, and, and because I'm not really very far on this tithing journey, I just kind of throw money in whenever I feel guilty. And, and, and he's never going to want me around, or he's, he's, he's mad at me right now. Man, when you fall back into your habitual sin, whatever it is for you, if you don't have any sin in your life, then your sin is pride. <laughs> if you don't have any sin, but you tell everybody else about their sin and other people's sins, then, then it's gossip and pride. You need to be humble like me. But when you fall back into that habitual sin, for some reason, I stop praying. I do. Why? I have no idea. I just think he's so disappointed in what I've done yet again that he doesn't want to talk to me. And that's called shame. And if you go back and look at Jesus and who Jesus was during his three and a half year earthly ministry, he never once used shame as leverage. Never once. Never once used condemnation. Never once. And if Jesus wasn't fully human, then he has no idea what you and I are going through. But if he's fully human, then that means no pain and no situation he can't relate to. If he is fully human, then that means even the darkest crevices of your mind with the things that you're dealing with, the pain that you're feeling, that means he's been there. You see, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't have blood. He created blood. So he had to have Jesus come so that he can shed his blood for you. I want you to hear one more scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews 4.15. We've been kind of hovering over Hebrews for a little while, and, and the writer kind of wrote out, sometimes we, we call the book of Hebrews like the Magna Carta of the church of doctrine because it just gives you all kinds of things to lean into. And I want you to hear this. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. See, here's the, what the importance of the humanity of Jesus is. The humanity of Jesus enables him to relate to you and I in a way that animals nor angels ever could. In fact, the Scripture says that the angels kind of watch what's going on. They watch in anticipation of what God's going to do. 
And I think they actually watch thinking, these are these creatures made in the image of God. And I can't help but sometimes them, them wonder, like, why don't they just get it? Like, why don't they just get it? See, we have a, a, a high priest, Jesus, who can empathize and relate to where we are. In your major religions of the world, there's usually some sort of Messiah figure who has it all figured out, who's smarter than you, and you've got to do all of these different steps and all of these different things where Jesus just simply said, follow me. Follow me. I can't, I can't help but pivot for a minute and think about my children. If you've got children, if you've got grandchildren, if you've got nieces or nephews, lean into this. Can you imagine if somehow Satan convinced my daughters that I don't love them anymore because they got an F on a math test, because they lost their temper, because they lied, because they whatever. As Satan convinces them, your father doesn't love you anymore. Don't go home tonight. Don't go home. He, he, he wants nothing to do with you. I don't want my kids to get an F on a math test, but my love for them is not based upon their performance on the test. Why do I love them? I love them because they are mine. I want to tell you about a time where I wanted to beat up a 10-year-old. <laughs> I bet you didn't see that coming with this like mood music playing, huh? <laughs> there was a time we were at the park and uh, I've told this story before but not for a while and, and I see this, this boy come up to my daughter and say something to her and I can see the look on her face and her body language as she's just defeated and, 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 and after we're done at this park we get in the car I look in the rearview mirror, and I, I ask Mackenzie, like, what's wrong? She said, I am stupid, aren't I? I said, what? Those boys told me I'm stupid. And it hurts. My first instinct is what yours is. Oh, that's it. That's it. He's going to get it. I, the problem is this, is one, society looks down upon child abuse, as they should. But more importantly, I don't know which one of these dudes is, her da is his dad. <laughs> I'm not exactly built for combat. But can I tell you that, that I don't know if I've ever received that much pain from another human being before. You can say what you want about me, but that's mine. That's my daughter. She's mine. The most hurt I've ever been in my life was by a 10-year-old at a park. And I can't help but wonder how God feels when we allow Satan to convince us that we are less than, that we are a sum of all of our sins, that we're a disappointment and the Father doesn't love us anymore. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the one that would come to the woman caught in adultery in the moment where you probably feel the most shame you've ever felt in your whole life. She doesn't need all these religious people telling her that she blew it. By this point, she knows. And this Jesus 
this Messiah, fully human, will bend down in the dirt next to her, look her in the eye, say, I am not here to accuse you. It's Jesus that would go out of his way to Samaria to speak to the woman at the well that society has casted away as because you've done this, 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 and this. You are worthless. And Jesus is like, no. No, no. You are worth my time. Let me tell you, if you've given your life to the Lord, don't let the devil convince you that you are less than. Don't let the devil convince you that you are not a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Let's start walking like it. I want this to be a church that we're there for each other, that when you go through a hard time, that when the devil has convinced you that you're less than because you've done this, 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 and this, and this, that we would be a church that would go to our brothers and sisters and be like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you who you are. I find it interesting that the Bible in the New Testament takes up so much real estate of God telling us who we are. When he says, no, 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 you are the head, not the tail. When he says, you are co-heirs to the kingdom of heaven, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart. He goes over and over and over and over again, reminding us who we are, because we need to know that. Because we need to know that. You see, the humanity of Jesus, let's end it with this point. The humanity of Jesus lets us know that one, not only can he relate, but that he cares about what we're going through. And when you feel low, when you feel beaten down, when you feel hopeless, this is who Jesus is. He's the one that gets down to where you are, wherever you are. He didn't say, come up here and talk to me. Get your life cleaned up so you can spend time with me. He says, the debt has already been paid. So let me come down to where you are. I am not here to accuse you. I'm here to call you daughter. I'm here to call you son. Your picture is on my refrigerator. And the inheritance is yours if you just receive it. Would you stand with me, church? So what I want to do is I want to take some time as a community and just pray. We'll do two different things. A prayer of thanksgiving. If you are a son or daughter of the Most High King, that is something that should you should celebrate every day. An attitude of gratitude. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for what you're going to do. Because you understand that the blood of Jesus redeemed all mankind's sin, past, present, and future. In fact, in Ephesians, it says that he planned good works for you to do ahead of time. Because of foreknowledge, he already knew how bad you were going to mess your life up. <laughs> but he still calls you by name. And then we'll pray together. If you're in this room and you've never given your life to the Lord and you're like, man, that's me. I've, I've, I've never prayed that prayer. I'll surrender my life. And we'll say that prayer together. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes, please. If that's you in this room and you're like, I want to pray that prayer today to become a son and daughter of the King, to surrender my life to the Lord. 
and ask him to forgive my sin. If that's you, you're online, you're in this in this house today. If that's you, would you slip your hand up real quick? We won't embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. I just want to know who I'm praying for. And if you're watching online and that's you, no matter when you're listening, I want to let you know that you were made on purpose and for a purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. If you are breathing, you have a purpose and you have an opportunity to be a son and daughter. Let's, let me just pray for us. Lord, God, I just give you my life. I renew my vows daily to you, Lord. I ask that you forgive me. I pray for the men and women in this room, the boys and girls, the children, whoever is listening, watching here, that they will hear your voice. They'll feel your presence, God. And be reminded, Lord, we remember what you did in Bethlehem when you sent your son. You sent him to be the perfect lamb, to die on the cross, to redeem us so that we can be made righteous. Indeed, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed, Lord. And because of you, we are all children of God. And you do not waver. You do not grow weary. Remind us this week, Lord, that we can't do anything to make you love us anymore. And we can't do anything to make you love us any less because we are yours, Lord. Lord, I love you, I praise you, and I would do anything for you. And all God's people said, amen. One more time, can we lift up a shout of praise in the house today? Come on. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If God spoke to you, if you made any kind of decision or you have a prayer need of any kind, we want to hear about it. We want to hear your story. We want to be a part of your life. Please click on the contact us button when you go to centerpointtn.com and tell us more about who you are and what God is doing in your life.